0: I can tell my
1: joke It's
2: two o'clock. You're listening to Mutiny Radio.fm. When you hear the trippy music, you know what time it is. It's time for some call me Tim. All right, welcome to Some Call Me Timp. Usually every week we talk to a different individual about what they believe in, but today I am joined by an incredibly special member of awesome band Side Pony. Noah, say hi to the radio listening audience.
1: Hey, Pam. Hey, everyone. Hey! How are you doing?
2: So glad that you could call in and uh, talk about your rad band and, or the rad band that you're a part of. I know there's five of you in the band. Uh, and the show, the amazing show tomorrow night at El Rio at 8 o'clock. And the the band Side Pony. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in to Mutiny Radio.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was such a like fortuitous moment when we bumped into you the other day so happy to have the chance to chat for a few minutes
2: yeah it was really funny I was hanging out on the back patio enjoying some sunshine at Bender's and you were having a band meeting and I I was just you know drinking and smoking and hanging out and doing my thing and sort of reading this other thing but I couldn't help completely eavesdropping cuz it you were make, everyone was making me laugh so hard i i knew there was some kind of performative act that was going to be happening but it took me a while to figure out that you were a band because it was about like hats and clothing choices and like how you were going to present yourself as a band and it was great and i finally said hey what what's your band called um, and that's when i learned you're from side pony <laughs>
1: Yes, you had the fascinating uh, opportunity to observe us in our in our natural habitat being nerds because we were actually having a, a band retreat planning conversation, and so uh, we were having a very earnest conversation about uh, what colors people would be willing to wear on stage and pretty ridiculous stuff like that. So, you know, how could you not notice how neurotic and nerdy we all were? No,
2: but that's amazing because you actually care about creating... Um, i mean it's an overall feeling some bands just go up and play music but this was like this is a performative event where you're trying to craft <laughs> everything the audience sees and it's theatrical and i i don't i don't know if i there's a couple bands i know of that do theatrical things in the way they dress up and how they pre- i mean the most extreme would be something like guar and i'm not comparing you to guar but anyway cuz i've listened <laughs> to some of your music but just that there's there's something there's a cohesive something happening on stage that isn't just musically, but you're trying to present it, you know, as a group, what you want, what you want people to gain from your time on stage. Um, How long have you been together with Side Pony?
1: Well, you know, it's just about four years. Wow. And yeah, you know, the cute thing is that, um, honestly, for being in a band like Although there's no limit on such things. You know, sometimes people in bands tend to be a little bit on the younger side. And actually, most of us are in our late 30s, pushing 40. And, um, you know, we've played music in different forms in our lives, but finally brought this together. I went on Craigslist because, you know, at the time you could actually still find people and resources on Craigslist. (laughs) And uh, our drummer had posted this ad that said, crappy drummer seeks crappy band, and uh, clearly that was for me. So, uh, you know, that was where it all started. We started as a trio and then built up from there, and later added our bass player-writer, who's also a violinist, which is great. They're just a really talented multi-instrumentalist. And, um, yeah, so we're just kind of slow and steady from there in the last four years.
2: How much time would you say you spend a week at band practice? Or not even just band practice, but doing things for the band, like promotion or updating the website or just any involvement in band activities? Like what percentage or how many hours a week would you say you do that? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. No, good question. Because being in a band, not that I'm a super capitalist, but being in a band is sort of like running a small business, right? Uh It's like this big labor of love, takes a lot of kind of admin support and communication and logistics. So, There are times when it can be up to 10 hours a week if you're thinking about designing artwork and coordinating, communicating with bands and venues and booking and so on. Most of the time, though, it can be in the, like, two- to four-hour range. Uh, But, yeah, then there's just online stuff, social media, communicating with folks. Yeah. So so definitely a commitment in that sense.
2: So you have weekly band practice for two to four hours.
1: Right. There's that, too. And then, of course, hopefully some practice above and beyond that. And then if you ever want to write new material, you know, you have to get your shit together to do that, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot. And um, And you don't get paid. One way that it works. Or you sometimes No, we don't, paid. of course. No, no. And we really the band to have an ethos about um, sharing our proceeds, playing benefits, and just covering our costs and then giving back whatever we can. Um, so, so that's you very must, important to us.
2: You must get a lot out of this if you're not... There's no, I'm not gonna say there's no monetary compensation, but there's very little monetary compensation. So your involvement in it is purely from a love standpoint. It, would you say that's of every band happening sort of in San Francisco? Was there a time when a band could say, hey, we can actually do something with this? Or, I mean, because even touring at this point seems that there's no. That you can maybe cover your costs of the tour itself, but is it, you know, logistical? Is it is it logical or even are you able to, say, go on tour and have a life as a band?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, our experience is, of course, very specific. And I think that overall most folks are definitely just doing it for um, the sheer love or even, I would say, you know, obsession where there's just something within you that compels you to have to do what you're doing. Mm. And you know, we're really fortunate to be part of this extended community of um, bands that identify with being queer, where at least part of the band is queer identified and there's a great scene thriving in that sense um and certain venues have been extra supportive i wanted to give a shout out to el rio in particular and also to the ivy room in the east bay Um, those are a few venues that come to mind where um, they're very generous with their time and space for emerging bands in general but definitely for queer bands so, um, that scene, it's really about just like the sheer desire to create and kind of build community. And, do you, um, do you feel honestly, like, yeah. Go do ahead. you feel like
2: in the past being queer or being identified as a queer band was something that you couldn't do? So is it something that people are just starting to embrace or has there been a history of it that's been unrecognized?
1: Yeah, good question. I think for us, at least for me, it's always been really positive and it's, um, it gives that extra sense of affinity or kind of like stickiness where it's, you know, it's a way that you stand out to one another and like, um, it gives a certain depth to that connection where there's like some sense of, um, some shared experiences, even though, um, you know, that's complicated, but yeah. Um, so overall folks are just really doing it for that, that love of of making art together and building community. And, you know, I have no clue how people really make money doing the work. Um, (laughs) I think that the industry has changed so much, and I'm completely out of it. Like, I, you know, only started streaming music myself um, in the last couple of years. I feel like I'm really disconnected from a lot of the trends. I'm, like, a little bit of a curmudgeon myself. And so I, like, reluctantly have figured out how to be – on Instagram and on social media and, uh, like, be part yeah. of those conversations. But, you know, I'm not really quite sure um, what matters most. I think people focus a lot on singles these days. Um, mm. And that's – there's this idea that the album is dead. But I'm sentimental and I still um, really believe in cohesive, complete albums. And sure. Album artwork eight songs. and eight all that songs. stuff, you know? You guys have yeah. a great
2: album, Side Pony the Cusp. People can pick it up on Bandcamp. It's only $7 for the digital album. I mean this is eight songs How long did it take you to record Master, remix Get this all out there This particular album
1: Yeah we were really Efficient about the process Actually we had done a couple of shows And we were in really good form And most of that recording was done over a weekend and then Oh wow uh, And another weekend for mixing So I would say about two weekends of recording and mixing And then the mastering Was just a bit more beyond that um, so I would say we were surprisingly efficient in that process we we exceeded our own expectations yeah.
2: um, who's your stage yeah. manager who's the most organized person that says okay enough of that song we're moving on to the next one or we've've we've, we've rehearsed this enough it's it's time or oh we have to go back yeah. and like who's sort of the do you all have your roles and if so who's like the director
1: yeah I've got two parts to that for sure one is that um, by far the most organized and sort of vocal person is our lead singer, uh, Hilda. And I think that she might be able to join the call later if we have time. But she is just extremely proactive and always keeps us on track and is like pushing us forward to keep growing, but also just keeps so many details um, organized in her head. And then also to kind of keep things more fair, because we're a band where a few of us are a bit more shy and introverted. Uh We actually created a system where we rotate facilitation at our band practices. And so this is a very nerdy, true story. We take turns being like the facilitator so that you don't always have one person who's leading the conversation. And so that way everybody has their time to sort of um, speak and influence things and so that not just one person is doing all the communication work. How yeah, progressive! So that's how we try to balance. <laughs> we like that, yeah, for sure.
2: That's amazing. So it's it's hard for me to conceptualize because I personally do stand up, which is one person, microphone, really nothing else. But y- there's five of you that have to c- communicate you know you're communicating on stage musically and there's a lot happening there it's live there's many levels but then even getting to that place has so many layers of communication and there's five of you do you have any like like fun horror stories or any of you super dramatic or you said you're all kind of shy but are there any like super dramatic stories where it just communication just fell out the window
1: Hmm. You know, that's great. I mean, uh, there are, of course, like in bands, there's there tends to be like, you know, there's always drama. Right. And people yeah. are so complicated. And, um, and for us, no, not so much. I, I'm sorry to disappoint no, that's without great. Any, um that's great. glamorous, dramatic stories. But, you know, honestly, the most complicated thing and this really isn't such a bad thing. It's just that um, Hilda and I are actually partners. And so we have been together for over 10 years and we we live together. And so we are the songwriting part of the band. And I think that, you know, overall, like we try to be really conscientious about our communication and how we affect the people around us. But, you know, there are going to be moments when we're like grouchy with each other. And so, you know, sometimes we kind of have to check ourselves and I'm just going to speak for myself. Like, you know, there are times when I might get frustrated about something and have to like take a few breaths and course correct um but overall you know nothing nothing too dramatic really that's (laughs) missing. let's go back to the songwriting (laughs) how
2: how does how does that process go for you with songwriting is it that you sit down and, and there's a there's a melody first or is it that you have words that happen or is it a is it a beat or a hook like where do you come at songwriting from and then how do you collaborate with hilda
1: yeah hilda is a mostly, um, an engine for lyrics. So she writes tons of lyrics and then I come join her and try to put the music behind it. That's generally how it works. Um, she's got an excess of ideas and I'm always trying to keep up, which Uh. is a great problem to have. But so, you know, there's sometimes there's a melody, like a seed or the germ of, of the song, but it often comes from lyrics first and then, um, yeah, and then experimenting from there. There have been a couple of exceptions. Like, honestly, there was just one song where we were really stoned, and it felt, of course, like a lot of things do when you're stoned. It felt like it was magical, like, like it all just flowed out, you know, seamlessly. Yeah. But those moments are rare. Songwriting is a lot of work. It's a lot of mental labor, and um, you definitely hit those blocks and have to um, just keep coming back to it. Or maybe put it aside for a while, work on something else.
2: Yeah. But, what's your you What's know, your favorite song on the yeah. album?
1: Mm, that is tough. Is that, I know, because they're
2: all your babies, but if you have to single a sure. baby out. You
1: no, know, one that we wrote um, relatively recently that I, I like a lot is Flash Fire. Uh, I like it for a few reasons. I think that one is that it really kind of comes from Hilda's heart and personality and describes something about her nature. So for me, there's a personal connection to it. But I also just think it's extremely pretty. Um, oh. I'm just really fond of the, the sound and the feeling of it. it. It's evocative and brings up a lot of emotions. Yeah. So Flash Fire is a favorite. Um, also still really partial to one that I wrote a long time ago called Invisible Ink. But yeah, of course, hard to choose. Hard to choose between your children.
2: Well, we'll listen to Flash Fire in just a second. If you've been hearing that strange beeping sound, that's probably um, Hilda trying to call in. That's Uh, true. uh, Right? She's ready. So uh, that's that's a thing. Uh, Why don't we... uh, Let's listen to the song, and then we'll be right back with you. We'll finish up, and okay. then I can, if she's trying to call in, we can say goodbye to you, Noah, and we can say hello to her. Great. So uh, here we go, off the album. Thank again, you. this, tomorrow at 8 o'clock at El Rio, uh, go see Side Pony. Who are you playing with again?
1: Yeah, thanks. Free show with the Forget-Me-Nots, who are a really brilliant... Sextet, I believe. It has cello, banjo, guitar. They're sort of like a raucous folk punk band. They write a lot of songs inspired by mythology and um, creatures. And then this really dreamy uh, duet called Please Please Me, who recently relocated here from New York by way of Austin. So, um, Two really great very distinct sounds, and super excited to share the stage with those folks.
2: Awesome. Uh, well, stay tuned. We're going to listen right now to Flash Fire by Side Pony. Thanks, Pam. Yeah. Side Pony. I loved that. That was Flash Fire by Side Pony. We were talking to Noah May on guitar from that amazing band that is playing tomorrow night at eight o'clock with uh, the Forget Me Nots and Please Please Me. I can't wait to go to that show tomorrow. <laughs> I'm really stoked. Um, honestly, that that song was romantic. <laughs> Just lovely. It was great. Uh, we lost Noah on the line. That's okay. Hopefully Hilda will call in and we'll get to talk to her. I love the violin in the background. That uh, that was great. It's uh, She's got a beautiful voice. It's their harmonious. I loved the bridge, the key change, the whole deal. 100% in. Side pony. I'm totally going to wear a side ponytail <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> to El Rio 8 o'clock go check it out everybody it's um, it's gonna be great and uh, so I, they're identifying as queer band I'm totally down with that uh, Side Pony go check them out on Facebook go check them out on Bandcamp here we're gonna get them back right now here we go boop, boop, boop,
1: boop,
2: boop. we are back with Side Pony are we not is this Noah or is this Hilda
1: Indeed, this is Noah. Noah Becke, <laughs> you didn't.
2: We. I love. I love. Love. Love that song. I love that the the, um, the violin I could hear. It's uh, subtle, but it's beautiful. That uh, you. I heard all the different instruments. You, the music is great. I loved the bridge, uh, the key change, all the stuff going on. It's such a romantic song. It, you you ticked all the boxes for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited about uh tomorrow night. I think this is going to be it's obviously going to be an amazing show uh at El Rio. And for people who don't know, it's kind of right where Valencia meets Mission up there in the upper echelons of Mission almost to 30th Street. Uh I'm sure uh, who hasn't been to El Rio. <laughs> so I know. Yeah, right. Seriously. Um yeah. what other what, what what are some of your Musical influences with, um, and also I was saying I love the name side. I should ask first where you came with your name, Side Pony, because I wear side ponytails all the time. It's probably not a side ponytail reference, but.
1: Well. Well, it is. It really is. Okay, so, you know, I'll go for that one first, which is, yeah, it was more of that sort of. Um, it's like that playful reference. Partly it's describing, I think it, it is about that feeling of the aesthetic that people associate with the eighties more or less, Mm. which is like a time that was relevant for most of us growing up. And then, you know, beyond that, it kind of plays with this idea of um, feminine identity and like what that means as well. And, you know, to be fair, there are definitely some other side ponies out there, Um, but we checked into it and, you know, most of them weren't super active by the time we formed the band, so we felt like it was okay. And um, there is one really well-known song out there by the band uh, Lake Street Drive. Lake Street Dive? Lake Street Drive. And so that song tends to pop up first when people are searching Side Pony. Um, But yeah, it's like a playful reference to the 80s and to certain ideas of um, like a construction of Feminine identity, I guess. Gotcha. And you know, in terms of influences, um, definitely all over the map. Um, a few that just come to mind for me are um, Elvis Costello, oh, I love Elvis and Costello. Nico Case, but then also certain queer bands like Team Dresch. And you know, Hilda grew up listening to a lot more R and B um, and performers like Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. The first time I ever, ever met her, actually, I showed up with her at her family's house and um, they were all dancing together to Michael Jackson in the living room. So there's just like a real wide range. And then, um, yeah, beyond that, even with our drum and our bassist, definitely all over the place. um, I think that I'm probably a little bit more or the most influenced by punk in the group. And then, um, yeah, just no limits, really, in terms of genre. Uh, So, yeah.
2: Back to the name, uh, when I hear side pony, it almost makes me think of like side piece or is it like I mean because the the two words together would be like side piece and show pony like if you were to take the if you know (laughs) if you were going to make that little game you play for the SATs like side is to piece as blank is to pony you'd be like side piece show pony
1: (laughs) I know I, I hear that and it's funny people have asked that and now I am super into wordplay and puns and double entendres and I do make a lot of like ridiculous corny sexual innuendo jokes all the time but <laughs> somehow with this band name i wasn't really considering that myself um not that i'm taking credit for the name but i it's just funny how that um connotation is definitely there but it wasn't yeah. totally intended either yeah so um how can you not help but hear that though side piece for sure, sure. <laughs> so we, we don't object to that at all um no that's fun
2: for um completely uh off track question Who's your favorite candidate in twenty twenty?
1: Favorite candidate? Yeah. Oh, I actually, I truly cannot weigh in on that. I'm um, still sort of agnostic at this point. You, really? Not, not just being cagey. I really.
2: You're waiting for your yeah for it to be narrowed yeah. down for choices.
1: Yeah, you know, complicated mixed feelings. Um, I honestly, like, I just think my analysis isn't isn't quite there yet gotcha yeah, sorry i honestly no no sure. hey it's yeah
2: and i wish that more people took the time to reserve and look to, to reserve judgment and look at all of the the, the factors happening instead of just yeah. jumping into a camp because of one specific issue or you know it's it's always yeah. it's hey be smart about your choices value them absolutely yeah. i just i'm just always interested because i'm like everything's i mean just because you you self-identify uh, as a queer band i'm just wondering like how you're feeling in this particular climate that we're in do you, are you feeling yeah. like things are becoming more accepting or is it getting scarier and things are coming becoming less accepting like how are you feeling about sort of society at large, when you present and identify, like, I'm just, I'm just curious. I don't know, if you don't want to answer these questions, it's fine. I just like, I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, huge questions. Um, So I think that, you know, partly, like, the answer just, like, depends on which, like, kind of context you're describing, which area, which, how, you know, how big or wide you want to go. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that overall, there's, like, there are huge amounts of progress in terms of people's social values um, and overall acceptance, yeah. and then what we've had are more regressive policy changes, like from the federal level. Sure. Um, you know, in California, then there's like resistance to that, and then more progressive laws or policies that get passed. Um, you know, so it sort of depends on where you are, and um, of course, like not all laws benefit people equally, mm. and. Um, and so stepping back, like anything about queer politics and liberation, like um, it has to come from an analysis of thinking about different systems that distribute resources ah. um, in terms of race and class. And so we have to think about healthcare care and prisons and jobs and all those broader systems. Ah. Um, you know, so I would, of course, not just favor somebody who was like very progressive about queer or LGBT politics while being more regressive in other areas. Like I'm looking for someone who wants to create like the most, um, to redistribute resources in a way that's equitable and just, um, that's, I'm keeping it a little vague, but no, no, no. And that's fine. I'm sort of leaning
2: from what you're saying is that there have been recent growing pains in that while one or one section of people is becoming more accepting and things are working more positively and there 's uh, but on the other side like as the balloon grows it 's also shrinking almost like it 's the growing pains of when when in opening people 's minds who in the past i mean it hasn 't been stonewall wasn 't that long ago so right. I mean even even if with with all kinds of politics from whether it's a a racial or it's um, gender-based, there's still, there's these growing things. You know, women couldn't have a credit card until 1974. So we're still in that sort of like expanding, contracting, like what's going to happen with our, you know, what we say society is. Anyway, I'm get, we're getting too deep. No, so you're sure. not a political not band. You guys just get, make good music. Like you're. <laughs> but,
1: well, no, no. It's a, we were definitely like we're all very politically engaged people, okay. um, and so the funny thing about us is that we all are literally in policy or nonprofits like really? in our day jobs, and um, so it's it's a little complicated thinking about what kind of message you're communicating with the world at different times like definitely like we're about the music but we think about it and I definitely think about it all in a really politicized way in terms of like what resources we have as individuals or as a band how we can um, use those in a way that is equitable and um, generous and like just taking all these factors into account in different situations that we find ourselves in whether we're um, in a show or yeah not to be too vague, but um, politics and having a politicized identity is definitely really um, crucial for all of us. Good, say. yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, well, it's every everything's political. <laughs> every not everything, yeah. but language, and even you're in a you're in a band. So every time you're on stage, people are going to there. There is some politics involved when you stand up in front of people and 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 have any message, whether it be romance is wonderful or listen to this beautiful music or dance, dance, dance. There's still, there's still politics behind that. Well, let's listen to um, your other favorite song, Invisible Ink, okay. and then we'll say goodbye and hopefully Hilda will call because I keep hearing some beeping and, okay. uh, and that would be great. No, this was so great. I can't wait to see your band tomorrow night along with Please Me, Please Me and the Forget Me Nots, 8 o'clock, El Rio. Are, are, are y'all headlining?
1: We'll be second. And so, you know, of course, we also all, like, are super relaxed about those things. We literally take turns. And um, being a little bit on the older side, we're always – Honestly, stoked to play earlier, but so it's going (laughs) to be please please me first, and then Side Pony, and then the Forget Me Not in that order. I'm the same
2: way. I don't like to be too far in the uh, on the list because I'm like God, eleven (laughs) thirty, and then you've got to break down and like oh, you know, yeah, you know. Um, Noah, what a pleasure! Thank you so much. Um, We'll
1: say goodbye to you. you We're going to
2: listen to Invisible Ink by Side Pony. Please, everybody, go see them tomorrow at El Rio. Swear, swear, I can't wait swear, to go, Here we go, this morning. That was a different song. Side Pony, everyone. like they put Everybody, you've been listening to Side Pony here on Mutiny Radio. I just had an incredible guest walk in. She came and dropped off something for me. It was Emma from the SF Examiner. Mutiny Radio just got its first ever ad. Yes, yes, folks, an ad. We're in the Examiner today. Right on page 17. Please check it out. We have an ad! I can't wait! Life is good! Things are good, people. We have an ad. I don't know what that means anything. Something should happen. She put it in a great space. Really helped me out. I... She can't, you know, can't handle it. Life is good, man. Just because you break your face doesn't mean that... Life is over. It's fine. My face is fine. Everybody, don't worry. Uh, I'm really hoping that Hilda from Side Pony gives us a call. And if she doesn't, that's okay, because we talked to Noah for half hour, and that was great. And I really hope that all of you go out tomorrow night to El Rio and see Side Pony, Please Me, Please Me, and the Forget-Me-Nots. Why do we love El Rio so much? Well, they're also one of the sponsors of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020, March 1st through 7th. Seven days, 66 shows, 75 comedians, one amazing week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Yes, there is going to be incredible talent streaming live and here live for you, listening audience. We only have a 30-seat performance space, so get those tickets now. Because there's only 30 seats. So let's sell them out. And keep this place alive because it's important and free speech is good. And it's so amazing to me that bands like Side Pony just do their thing with no monetary compensation in sight whatsoever. Uh, There's another band, local band, I'm really fond of. You might know them as Floating Goat. (laughs) But they also have... A side project named Hendrixian, which is killer. Um, it's all cover bands. Uh, it's all it's it's a cover band. It's it's called Hendrixian. I'm trying to find it on. I don't know if they have any if they have any things out. But boy, do I love it's it's basically just floating goat as Hendrixian. And Chris Corona doesn't have the virus. Huh? Uh, but Chris Corona is, sounds just like Jimi Hendrix. And he can play guitar like you can't even believe it. It's, he's just incredible. So we should check them out. If we can find... I don't think that they have... I don't think that they have anything on the on the tubes. Dang it, dang it. Well, let's go to. I'm sorry, everybody. Let me put on something while I figure out what's going on. I just always say that my favorite my favorite local band is Floating Goat, but boy, boy, I'm I'm a Side Pony fan now too. I also am really excited that uh, War Bison is coming back around, kind of getting back together. Uh, when the, they they really never broke up, someone just kind of left um, to a different state. But I guess he's coming back and War Bison will be playing again. Boy, do I love that band. Uh, some death metal. I wanted to start a band. <laughs> I actually want to steal the the drummer and the bass player from Floating Goat slash Hendrixian slash. There's another band that they're both in. I can't remember what it's called, though. Um, because I want to start a band. I want to have a comedy death metal punk band, right? I got some songs written. I live with my mom. She is really calm. She really still loves me, even though I'm 23. Mom. Why do I live with my mom? I live with my mom, 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 mom. mom. I live with my mom, 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 mom. Anyway, I wrote a song based off a joke. Haha. Ha ha. A song based off a joke. I certainly did that. Well, I want to have a... I want to be... I've always wanted to be in a band. I've always wanted to do sketch comedy. I did that recently. I always wanted to... It was harder than I thought, that, that sketch comedy, to be absolutely, completely, utterly honest with you. It's not easy to memorize scripts and then do them on stage. I made, I made more mistakes than I'm happy with. Um... <laughs> So, uh, we're gonna look up some floating goat Hendrixian. So, a couple weeks ago, I saw floating goat Hendrixian with um, with gods of rock, and boy, was that great! They don't they don't have what I'm looking for. It's okay. I guess I could look for Chris Corona bands. Uh, let's listen to some, I mean, are things from 2002 still good, still relevant? I believe it to be true. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, this is their first, this was their first offering in 2002. And it's, pretty darn good if you ask me. They've always been great. I've always thought that drummer comedian Aaron Barrett is ridiculously talented. Loading Goat. I love them. It's a local band. They're great. Hey, Side Pony was amazing. I'm uh, I'm super stoked to go see them tomorrow night at El Rio. I think you should go too. I think you should also see the Please Me Please Me's. And why don't we, you know what, let's be, let's be good people. Before we play the second hour, I'm going to play an old Some Call Me Tim of me talking to the awesome priest who has incredible night ministry, which is amazing. But let's try to get this duo, Please Me, Please Me. Um, please, Please Me. Sorry. PLS, PLS Me is the name of the band. Uh, and funny enough, there's a Beatles song called Please, Please Me. Okay, I can't find them. Never mind. We're going to listen to an old uh, An old, awesome, someone call me Tim for the second hour. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you join everyone tomorrow at El Rio for Side Pony. Uh, This will be, here we go. I believe this was the one that she was talking to me. She came twice, two weeks in a row. Could it be this one? Let's figure it out together and gods and belief and what makes people be alive and what keeps them alive and what makes their lives worth living and all of that kind of great stuff. We are rejoined by last week's guest, Valerie from nightministries.org, which you should give them money. Um, And... And I'm so excited that you came back because I'm so. Last week we talked a lot about your big projects uh, here in San Francisco with the Night Ministry and helping people on the street and, and reducing loneliness and, um, you know, dealing with homelessness and trying to change lives. And you said that there's a vigil coming up.
3: Yes, it's actually uh, tomorrow night, the 19th. Uh, we, every year, uh, night ministry in conjunction with the interfaith Council and faithful fools and the Coalition on homelessness uh, do a vigil for people who have died outside or you know marginally housed in shelters and so forth and uh, we always do it on the Thursday closest to the winter solstice so that's oh, tomorrow right and it's at UN Plaza at six o'clock by the fountain and everybody is welcome to come we it's a, a very multi-faith service and uh, we do prayers and we read the names of every single person um who's died outside or marginally housed um and we we collect them for weeks ahead uh, you know from the coroner and people who do memorials and so forth Uh, unfortunately we have a really long list this year it's 263 people last i saw it might have grown a little since the last email i saw so it's it's partially to remember those folks and you know memorialize them and partially to make a very public showing of this is not okay. It's not right to have that many people in San Francisco die
2: unsheltered Uh, are there are this is this people freezing to death is this is that they had pneumonia and they (sighs) and then they expire is it you mentioned fentanyl yeah
3: it's it's a combination of things so some of it is exposure um you don't really freeze to death in san francisco so much because our temperatures don't get low enough but exposure will do it to you you know it gets down to forty. 50 degrees and you're out in it night after night, uh, you do get sick, pneumonia, mm-hmm. things like that. It can exacerbate, um, underlying conditions, uh, HIV AIDS, those kind of things. Oh, wow. And, um, and a lot of people OD because a lot of people use to try and cope with how hard it is to live outside. Sure. And, um, and we've had, um, this it's especially it's wet and it's cold and people aren't nice to you Right. and it's just, it's a hard life. And so people use, yeah. um, yeah. Which is, you know, to me, not surprising. And unfortunately, you know, you get more, you know, a stronger fentanyl than you thought, or you know, higher heroin mixed with something that you don't realize it's mixed with, and um, and that's
2: it. Right. There were the three kids. uh, I think it might be three years ago now, though. They thought they were shooting meth, and it was fentanyl. Yeah. And so they had no idea that, and they just all three of them just died, boop boop boop, right next to each other in a little doorway on Hate Street, and it was like. And when do we, when do we care? When do we go? Right, These are right. someone's kids. How did this become okay? How, yeah. <laughs> they were kids. They were probably all under 25. They're someone's yeah, children. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So what is the, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter what people are dying from. It's that they're dying on the streets, and we so, need to bring—we need to make this visual for people to say, "This is this is a real
3: problem." This is a real problem. These are real people. They're all somebody's kids, right? You know, exactly. even if they're sixty or seventy. Unfortunately, a lot of folks on the list are pretty young. The ones we don't know the ages for everybody, but right. uh, some of them are quite young, even under twenty. Wow. Um, it just it kills me. I'm like my That's my youngest child is twenty eight. So like anybody younger than that is really a kid. Exactly. And I just um um it just kills me. And um so this is our way of
2: saying they mattered. Sure. And it, this is not okay. Yeah. And again, people can donate to nightministry.org yep. Definitely do that. Check out the vigil tomorrow night. So it's like right after sunset or yeah,
3: it's at six, six o'clock, o'clock,
2: so it's it's it's, it's
3: you know, pretty dark by then. The Skywatchers are doing a, a processional down from the Faithful Fools. They make, uh, they did it last year. They made a banner for every single person oh. with their name on it so that every wow. person has a banner. Yeah. Um, they were going to do a coffin for every person until they
2: learned how long our list was. Right. <laughs> so, like, oh. it's so, and that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of, It's yeah. uh, a lot of wood. That's a lot of materials yeah, fabric and fabric. And just, yeah. yeah, yeah that they stuff. do a
3: great job. Singers of the Street will be there singing. That's great. Um,
2: hymns and
3: yeah,
0: yeah.
2: yeah it's going to be a good service. Oh, okay, it's tomorrow, six o'clock. So we didn't get to talk about it much last week on Some Call Me Tim because we talked about the ministry that you do, but usually on this show, I ask people like either how they found the precepts that they live by or the faith that Mm -hmm. they subscribe to, Mm -hmm. or it was thrust upon them and then they changed their mind. What was your sort of origin story (laughs) to the cloth? Okay. Um,
3: I I grew up in the United Church of Christ and uh, I always felt called to the ministry as far back as I can remember. And I can remember being a little kid in the pew and the preacher saying, go into the world and preach my gospel. And I thought, oh, that's me. He's talking to me. I mean, even as just a very small child. Um, And I didn't know what form that ministry would take. I pictured myself in a parish because that was kind of the only ministry that I knew about at the time. Um, And um, when I uh, learned about night ministry and started doing night ministry, it was like, Oh, right. This is where I was supposed to be, and so I just uh, I was getting ready to get ordained, and someone on my ordination committee was an assistant night minister at the time, uh-huh. and he said, I think you know this is a good match for you, and so I volunteered for a little while, and uh, just about the time I was ready to be ordained, a fellowship became available for two years, and so I said, pick me, pick me, oh, right. and I was one of the fellows, and uh, by the time that two years was over, I was completely hooked, and I just said, I'm not leaving, so you have to hire me, um, and right, I did. Yeah.
2: Good time. Yeah. So you can came from Church of Christ. Is that, that's a denomination of born again Christians? Yeah. Is it Presbyterian? Is it yeah. Episcopal So it's actually United Church of Christ. United which Church of Church Christ. Church of Christ is are pretty um,
3: conservative. Okay. United Church of Christ is pretty liberal.
2: Right, because um, you're a lady of the cloth. I'm a,
3: I'm a lady right, of the cloth. Right, right. And, um... We ordained uh, one of our parent denominations, um, the Congregationalist, and I'm kind of in the Congregational stream of the UCC. They ordained their first woman in 1853.
2: Wow. She couldn't get a job, but they did it. But they ordained her, right? They said that you are allowed to have a relationship with... Preach, teach, oversee sacraments.
3: Sure. Uh, So it's nothing new in the UCC. Um, That granted, when my church hired our first woman minister as an associate pastor when I was a little girl. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad was a deacon, and I remember him coming home really late from meetings. So even then, they were still, like, really, you know, 100-plus years after Antoinette sure. Bowen was um, well ordained. They were still arguing about, oh, can we have a woman? Well, but you it's know. interesting
2: because women teachers, like, women have traditionally taught in the homes, or even when we were homesteading and when women were teachers, but yet men were professors— and pastor. Right. So it's funny and it's the same thing when you look at you know, cooking. Women have primarily cooked in the home for years and years and then suddenly chefs are of like the male <sighs> persuasion. So it's interesting where the work has been done for so long by women but then the positions of power have been usurped by the you know the the patriarchy and historically as
3: women enter different professions the pay for those professions tends to go down right uh, yeah not always, but uh, historically, it's, at least here in the U.S., that's been true. So it's, it's yes, there's this thing of women's work not being valued. Um, and in the church, in the Christian church, you're like, come on. It was women who were first to preach the gospel. Who's the first person going to say he's risen? It's women running from the tomb. Mary Magdalene. Yeah, and, and the dudes don't believe them till they go see for themselves. Right. But it was women. Doubting Thomas. You know, who are first. Yeah, he didn't even believe the other guys. But yeah. it was like women who first preached the gospel. So don't tell me wow. I can't
2: preach.
3: Yeah. You, you know,
2: f- it's just. Um, See, those are the th- kind of things in the Bible that those are the nuggets that I I want to recognize and pull out because yeah. they do honor women and that Jesus honored women. Yeah, yeah. And I'm 100% down with that. But it seems like the large scale societal idea of religion is like rooted in the patriarchy and is about keeping women down. But then we can look at places in the Bible where women were the first to preach the gospel, where uh, women brought community because of Adam and Eve. And instead of thinking of Eve as the servant, you brought it up last week saying, well, no, she was communion. She was fellowship. He needed, he couldn't just talk to animals. They needed, it's about togetherness as people. Right, right, right. God says you, you shouldn't be alone. You shouldn't be alone. Nah, like you need
3: yes. somebody to sit and wash your feet or make your dinner or whatever. You right. need a companion. Sure. And um, it's it's a woman who, you know, women changed Jesus's mind, right? Right. He, the Syrophoenician woman is like, you know, heal my daughter. And he's like, you're not Jewish. And she's like, come on, dude. <laughs> and, you know, he calls her a dog and she keeps pressing until she changes his
2: mind huh and so jesus had a little prejudice there for a second yeah wow and woman that changes his mind well and that's so interesting because then it proves that jesus was a man like he is not that's what makes him blameless is that he's not only the son of god but he's also an actual man right. and for and men uh, us uh, people have prejudices, and for for that to be acknowledged I've, in the Bible, I think is very interesting that he did have a prejudice against someone, and his mind was changed. yeah, it was
3: it was it was a racial prejudice more than a gender thing, right? But, but it's a woman that changes his mind about it, right? And you um and you look at Luke and Acts and um it starts to be this story of expanding who's welcome, Uh right? It starts off like, okay, I'm just calling Jews. And then it expands and expands and expands. Uh, Sean Brooke and others have pointed this out. Uh, It's not my own thinking by any means, but when you read it, you watch how it's like, oh, okay, them too. Oh, yeah, yeah, them too. Oh, yeah, yeah, and them. And okay, now everybody, whole world, you know? The story expands
2: and grows. And it's... um, Well, and Jesus is about being inclusionary. But I feel like so much of the Old Testament is about exclusion. But then is it because it's contextually with where the Jewish people were at that time? Yeah,
3: because they're an impressed people, right? Right. And they're struggling to keep their identity. Sure. You know, they're carted off to Babylon. They come back... what, uh, what was done in that time is you go in and you conquer people and you take all the elites, the rich people and the rulers and all of them, and you exile them, but you leave all the farmers in place cause you got to farm the land, right? Right. Right. And then you bring in a bunch of farmers and, and, and manual workers from somewhere else you've conquered and you, and you mix up the population and sort of destroy people's cultural identity. Uh-huh. Um, And so that goes on, and then the elites come back from Babylon, and and that's where you start getting like Ezra and Nehemiah, and I don't like them, but they're like, you have to divorce all your, whoops, you have to divorce all your foreign wives, you have to, we have to try and get our cultural identity back, and unfortunately, they do it in some kind of reprehensible ways, um, saying, you know, all these other people who were brought in, you know. tough luck for them you know we're just going to be us and divorce your wife if she wasn't Jewish to start with and all this kind of thing and um oh and by the way now we found all these laws found all these laws in the ruins of the temple right um that's that and then you start to get all of this um that's what you start to see all of the laws about um all the things that we're going to do to make us distinctly Jewish and preserve our cultural identity. Sure. So it's it's this. I mean, as always with human beings, it's this really complicated struggle. Like you totally get. Of course, you want to keep your cultural identity. You don't want that just diluted and and um, erased. Of course, you know. But then people go about it in some mean ways and some some right. not
2: okay ways. And but that, that's what's that's still what's isn't that still what's happening? Like there's well, still, right, we're still dividing down through amongst, history, yeah.
3: right? I, it seems like it's kind of human nature to, to split groups or be sectarian. I mean, did you ever see Life of Brian? Yes. Okay. So there's this thing where they decide Brian's the Messiah, and they're all chasing him, and his sandal falls off, and he's just like, forget that, and he keeps running. And somebody's like, the sandal, and, and he's also dropped a gourd, and somebody's like, no, the gourd, and I'm like, that's sectarianism. Like, right, right. It. We worship, just, yeah, You know, exactly. Three minutes into worshiping this guy, they're splitting sure. and arguing about it. And and human beings do that. Um
2: well, what? That that's the thing though, is that, is that why religion exists is to help us bridge those gaps. But then it also seems that sometimes like when, when we're dealing, especially with monotheistic religions that believe that there is one God, are we not all talking about the same God, but then why do we have such issues with people that study or practice, uh, Islam. Why do we have problems with the Jews? Why do the Jews have problems with them? We're all talking about the same mono. It's the same God, right? Is it It, or are we like, no, it's a different God. Um, um,
3: among the Abrahamic religions, I think there's for most people, this general, general agreement that we're all looking at the same God and where the um, breakdown sometimes happens is everybody's going, but like, we know him better. We've uh, got the right idea. And that's, that's not a hundred percent true across every follower of any of those religions. You know, it's, um, you know, I mentioned the interfaith council at the beginning and this service is very interfaith. Um, you know, it's most people in most of those religions are like, yeah, I'll do my thing and you do your thing. Unfortunately, the people who are like, no, they're wrong, they're bad. They're going, those are the loud people, but they're not the majority and it's and it's true in Christianity. It's true in Islam. It's it's true um, Judaism. Not so much. You don't hear so much of it anyway. But um, I'm sure it's there in certain streams of Judaism. But you don't seem to hear so much of it. Or and but other like, religions.
2: Buddhism let's look and, at and the Assad and all that. The the Israel Palestine issue. Okay. Is that a racial issue or is that a religious issue or is it both? Because mm. the Palestinians are. You know, on the Gaza Strip, they're sort of imprisoned now, and they're not. They're primarily not Jews. <laughs> they're, they're Muslims, right? Yeah, Muslims and Muslim
3: Christians, and um, given how many smart people who have tried to sort that whole mess out and failed, I feel like it's a little above my pay grade. <laughs> but, um, you know, Israel's created after World War Two, right? Yeah. It, it didn't exist in the modern world as a country in that way. And it makes sense. These folks have been persecuted. Hitler's been killing them, you know, by the millions. Let's give them their own safe space. Okay, that's fine. That's good. And again, we get into this complicated thing of, like, here's this good thing. But lo and behold, there's those all these people living here. Right, there were and people. And then you get right. into this, like... Well, we need the land, so off you go. And the people who are living there are like, but we've been here a thousand years. Right, Our right. families have been here a thousand years. And no, you can't have it. And so you get this conflict.
2: Right. Uh, and it's the and water. it's much more
3: complicated than that. But of, like,
2: of course. And, and it's the water because Israel does have fresh water sources, right. which is like crazy because it's a desert. So there's there's water issues. There's religious issues. Yeah, there's it's, I mean, land right issues. Yeah, it's, I mean, pro- I'm not as
3: familiar with it as I probably should be be you know follow the many like who's who's getting what out of owning that land and and who's getting what of taking that land away from the Palestinians I'm right. I'm I do fall pretty solidly on the side of the Palestinians because I don't like the way the uh, Israel as a country treats them um there are a lot of people within Israel Israelis within Israel trying to change it so it's not sure. all of Israel but um you know the 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 walls and you can't even, um, I had a friend who lived there and like, she's ready to deliver her baby and she can't get to the hospital because the stupid checkpoint is so far backed up, Wow, you know, and then you see how they go in and bomb children and tear their homes down and destroy their farms. So it's like, Israel is not acting, um, in the right way towards, towards, I mean, there's just, you know, you don't, I don't think have to have your historical, biblical borders, which is, I guess, what they're kind of aiming for. Sure. You could share.
2: Just share. 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 Let's
0: all share. um, Share, share.
3: But, you know, human beings don't Tend to do that. It's not just Israel. It's anybody with the power. I mean, look at European Americans when we come to this continent, right? Oh, absolutely. We get the guns and we've got the germs and we just right. come in and, and said, this is our land.
2: Manifest destiny. Yeah, Everything yeah. I see is for God. As God you know, gave God it to me. Use God as an
3: excuse. Right. They use God as an excuse. Sure. Uh, which is always... It's got to bother. Like it's it's got to make sin. you angry, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, I was, um, after Columbine uh-huh. that next Sunday, I sit down with my seventh and eighth grade church school class and I'm like, okay, there goes our curriculum that we were going to talk about. We got to right. talk about it because this is their age group. And we got into this discussion of sin and this eighth grader, this 13 year old kid, says it's hurt, sin is hurting other people and telling and saying it's god's will and i thought wow, oh my God, this is a
2: 13 year old saying that wow um wow that well there yeah it's and and it's I've god's will for bangladeshi that. children just to be sewing until their fingers bleed right, it's just right, it's god's right. will it's
3: god's will for us to take over the continent it's a god's will for us to bomb the Palestinians. i mean it's right sure to this day that is still my favorite definition of sin wow you hurt other people and say, oh, but God wants me to, or God says, it's okay. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, broadly, I think of sin more as anything that takes us out of relationship with God or takes us out of relationship with other human beings, because we're meant to be in those relationships.
2: Right, right. So
3: that's kind of, if you want a very broad definition of no, sin, but that, that's the idea of I'm going to hurt you and say, "No, nope, God
2: wanted me to. I, 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 I agree though it, with that, that it takes you out of, for those who are, don't subscribe to a, a religion or a a relationship with a creator or being to say that it takes you out of relationships with other people is exactly what it does because you know, you know, when you're like, even when you're little kids, right. And they're playing and one of them goes like, I want that toy. And they grab the toy from the other child that takes them out of the relationship with the other child.
3: And they try and hide it from you. Right. right Then they're
2: like, (laughs) Like this is my, my yeah, they know they're doing something that is, Something that is selfish, that is for them, that's taking them out of a relationship. Right. Because that doesn't selfishness take you out of relationships yeah, with other yeah, people. Because yeah, right. radical self-interest is the opposite of caring about the people around you and how your right, right, actions right, affect right, right, them. Right, right, right. Exactly. So it becomes, that's my toy. And when you're a baby, it's like, I want it, I take it. But then you realize as you grow that that's not good that, that, really? that it ruins that they're not suddenly well none of the kids want to play with me what am I doing wrong? oh it's when I it's when I take, take things toys, yeah. right or it's when I do this or it's when I have sex with somebody's husband or it's when right, I right like I just now take you,
3: what I want I, you
2: and know, then you've and taken I'm, yourself out of one relationship
3: right. and another relationship <laughs> right and it's you know unfortunately if you get rich enough what happens is now I'm going to take all of this labor without paying adequately sure, for it sure and I don't care that I'm not in good relationship with my anyone, or, you know, it's so,
2: because money makes, well, I mean, and once you have enough money, you can buy relationships. Yeah. But not satisfying ones.
3: Well, I mean, I feel, I mean, I, I guess
2: I don't, I haven't been, I've never been rich enough. Yeah, to I've never that. been rich, never been rich <laughs> enough to buy people, but I mean, I'm sure that like, you know, Oprah's personal assistant loves her. Because, you know, like, because you're paid to, to do something like that. It's, it becomes a, I mean, if I was paid a lot of money to love someone, I would love them. I would love them so much. That's why I love being a nanny. I take care of other people's Mm -hmm. children, and I'm paid to do it. And I love it. I love their – but I love their kids anyways. But it's nicer to be paid for it. Right, right. I still
3: love kids. But it's just – yeah, but you would love those kids anyway because those kids are those cool kids kids anyway. And my daughter is a nanny too, and she loves her kids, and she thinks about how she works with them and what's good Uh, for them and what's kind of coming next for them developmentally. I mean, she thinks about all that stuff. No screen time. She doesn't get paid enough to get – to think about all that stuff, but she thinks about it because she cares about it. Yeah. Uh, Not not
2: that the family she works for aren't lovely. You're all lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, and it's it's relationships and when you form relationships with, with, and then it's based on trust. I, I mean, I, I understand sin because sin, breaks down, you know, lying is a sin because it breaks down trust. Really? Yes. It's those things where things that destroy relationships. Right, right. Yeah.
3: That makes sense doing to me. Doing things sexually that you shouldn't be doing. Right. Lying, hurt, killing people, you know, all those things that we think of as sin, right. they all take right. out of relationship. Here's the cool thing in Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, and we, we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, it, the word that most commonly gets translated as sin, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's hatah. My poor Hebrew teacher just used to whinge every time I had to read. But um, in Hebrew, it's just like wandering off the path. It's not like sin, this heavy, heavy thing. It's wandering off the path, so you can wander back on. Sure, it's not. So yes, it takes you out of relationship, you know. And if it's bad enough, maybe that's really hard to heal. But if you Lie to your best friend, and then you go like, I don't know. I really should have told them the truth. And you go and you apologize, and you you can just wander back onto the path. You can come back into relationship, and I I. Th- because we're created for relationship I think that makes it possible yeah. this sort of uh, rupture and repair right. in relationships because we all screw up right we yes all just to err as human and you have yes. to go oh yeah I did do that but it's really acknowledging sorry.
2: it but when you acknowledge yeah. it it yeah, yeah, helps yeah. you grow back together because it builds rebuilds that trust
3: right right and 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 to have the other person accept that I mean it's like in my best friendships and my best relationships of course you get at each other. When you're being authentic with one another all the time, you get angry. You do things. You step on each other's toes, or you say and do things you shouldn't do. Yeah. But if you could be brave enough to go, you know, "ow, that hurt me," and the other person can be brave enough to go, "oh, yeah, I see that. I'm sorry." Yeah. Then that relationship ends up stronger. Yeah. Those are like my strongest relationships where we can do that with
2: each other. Right. But acknowledging it's it's saying. Uh, it's acknowledging it and saying I did something wrong and making amends as opposed to just ignoring it forever and never right, looking right. At it in the eye again. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah.
3: Yeah. So when you have a, <laughs> like a genuine prayer, prayer of repentance, right, then you're saying like, Oh yeah, God, I screwed up. I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and do better. Yeah. Help me do better. Right. right? Sure. Right. And it's God's nature, I believe to go, okay, let's try it again. Sure. I mean, and, and, biblically that's totally supported like how many times does god get mad at israel
2: and well, like and, we're done yeah moses messed up a bunch of times and moses like messes it, aaron up he messes up yeah. And, yeah. right
3: jacob
2: yeah. I oh. mean,
3: it's just, peter you yeah. know and he's yeah, the, the rock jesus builds a church on but right. he's like you know uh
2: it's...
3: his name means rock you know yeah. this, right mm-hmm. in greek peter is rock and, and my uh, New Testament professor used to say, because he had a head like a rock, like he just never <laughs> gets it, he never gets it, and yet Jesus and God are still like, okay, yes, you're a doofus, but you're the rock we're going to build the church on.
2: Right. Because which, which God is, which is always coming back. Which means we can always come back, right. and, and heal relationships, and that anyone can have a relationship with, right, because right. if even <laughs> if if he's like. I mean, he denied him three times. He said, are, are you, w- I would never do that. I would never do that. And right, then right. he was out of fear. He's like, oh yeah, who's that guy? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, right, no, no right, idea. Right, no right. idea who that guy is. Like right after, so quickly. Right
3: after. But then.
2: But showing can, that the fallacies, that if if the person with big fallacies can have the church built on top of them. Right. Then who, you know, we all have a chance to. Exactly, commune it's, with the divine.
3: One of the things that just breaks my heart so much on the street is meeting people who feel like they're not worthy of God's love. Oh, and it, which you see a lot because, you yeah, know, often people have made some real mistakes getting there. And you say to somebody, God loves every single part of you, often they just start crying, sure, you know, because it's not a message they're getting from society, right? And fortunately. US culture as it is right now says you're only lovable if you're rich and beautiful and, right? and, yeah. you know, and um, you know, charming and all of that. Like you have to check all these sort of superficial boxes to be worthy. Sure. But it's not really true. Cause God's always picking right. the people who are screwing
2: up left and right yeah. to do God's work.
3: <coughs> That's not how God looks at us.
2: And Jesus was down with prostitution and I say yeah. legalized sex work. He was like right. this is the thing going to prosecute anybody, prosecute the Johns, but really just
3: legalize the whole thing, regulate it, legalize the whole thing and regulate it. it.
2: And then you don't, then you people could you could actually give people the opportunity to be honest about it. Like maybe if now I'm in a committed relationship with my boyfriend, Uh but if anything was happening like sexually that I wasn't doing or that he wanted, I would hope that. A, he'd bring it to me and we could discuss it and see if I could work on that. But if it was one of those, like, hard stop, no way. If there was a sex worker who could facilitate that and we were both being open and honest and safe and it was legal, like, all right, then it's I don't necessarily see it as a sin because it's being open and honest and we're no There's no
3: sure no in the relationship. There's there. no monogamy is like my last big hang up, so I probably would say no for myself. But if it's but the open and honest thing is where you put your finger on it. All right. Open and honest and you're not hurting each other. Both gen I mean I've plenty of friends who are polyamorous. Sure but they do it in this really integrity filled way right where everybody in the just checking in all the time everybody in the relationship okay with this right and if somebody's not okay then they work it out just like you would in a couple relationship with just two of you sure you know and it's and it's just as important if you're in a monogamous relationship of any stripe to be checking in with each other. Absolutely. Is this okay? Are you down with this? Is this cool? Not just che- sexually, but like how are right. we going to spend the money and raise the kids? And, exactly. You know, uh, which way we're putting the toilet paper on, whatever. Sure. All of it. Yeah.
2: All of it. Um, and Scheduling, behaviors. Like <laughs> yeah.
3: all of it. No, the seriously. Whole like, whole yeah. I, I really, I feel like more marriage, you know, the marriage will break up and they'll say because of infidelity or whatever, but. Long before that, like somebody was leaving the towels on the floor right. or somebody else wasn't it, putting the seat down, right. you know, it, or, it, or that they the weren't that drive people crazy
2: when you used to spend time together doing certain things. And then that goes away. If you don't reconnect in other ways and find those ways to spend time with each other, then things start breaking yeah, down
3: because we're creative for connection. And if you're right. not connected, you're not going to be happy.
2: That's, that's one of the things that's, so I used to be married, um, years uh-huh. and years ago and it didn't, it didn't work out and yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. He has a, he has a wonderful new wife and two new children, mm-hmm. not new. They're older now, but it's great because he wanted kids and I didn't want kids. And that's kind of uh-huh. the reason that we mm-hmm. split mm-hmm. ways. Um, but, what I've noticed with people who are in married relationships that they say, well, I didn't, I'm not cheating, but I do have this guy I talk about, I talk online with and everything. And they have these new like internet relationships, which are not sexually based because they're not together in the same room, but they're emotionally charged in a way that I would still say that's sin. Yeah. Not that I'm ju- not that it's my place to judge. Let he throw the first stone, et cetera. But... Ooh, like sometimes I feel like the yearning for connection, if you're in a marriage, if you're in a, or in a committed relationship and you're yearning for connection outside of that connection, that by doing that, it's still a violation.
3: Yeah. It's like, I feel like either tend to the relationship, figure out what's wrong and figure out what's going on. Or if it's really not working, say, this is not working and off you go and then you find you know what you're looking for it's right. um people have called that an emotional affair sure and just um but it the the problem is is it takes that energy out of the relationship right and it, and puts it which it is not the fair same. to the other person yeah, i think
2: i agree uh, it's speaking. not that i'm choosing not that i'm saying what's a sin and what isn't so you're a priest though is that your job to, to decide what's sin and what isn't do people, <laughs> Boy, do, I sure do people come to you <laughs> <laughs> do, do people come to you and ask like was that a sin yeah, did i yeah, yeah. Did, was that wrong and yeah. then you say and well, then i I usually what do you think? well uh, yeah I, I
3: kind of i i kind of do um i want to learn um more about how they feel about it. Like, mm. you know, how did that sit with your integrity? You know, I don't usually phrase it quite that way, but um, you know, it really depends on the person and what, I mean, some things I'm just like, no, dude, you know, <laughs> you're doing what you need to do to get through the night kind of thing. Uh, um, but some So people ask like, you about drug use, Like say, drug use, this, or I yeah. shoplifted, and I'm like, well, you know, that can really get you into trouble, or this could have some health impacts. Um, but I don't think God is judging people for that. Yeah, but, I don't know. Is I mean, you know, or I cut again, you know, and I feel a lot of shame about cutting again. Sure. Like you've got this pain, and you're doing what you know to do to deal with that pain. Right. Now, if that it's not working for you, we can talk about some other things you could try. Right. Better. But better I'm not going to sit that, there and you know? say you can't do that. Um, right. She's um, she's gone now, but we had a regular for a long time, and she gave me permission to tell her stories. Um, that cut a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. And she felt all this shame around it. Sure. And she'd been the therapist and all kinds of things through her whole life and never was able to stop cutting. And what I did and, and Lyle, uh, my predecessor, both did with her was say, okay, cut. You need to cut, cut. Do you have band aids around? Would yeah, you have protocol? Like, like safety I used protocol. To keep, I used to keep gauze in my car just sure. for her. And then yeah. uh, we'd talk about, she always needed stitches. so But we'd, unless one time she got an artery and I didn't give her a oh. choice. But usually I we would like negotiate going to the hospital and getting the stitches. The, that one time I'm just like, nope, either that or I'm calling an ambulance. Yeah, on. no so negotiation. Get the car. Um, yeah. But, um, but she went from cutting every two or three days to cutting like every six months. Well, that's good. And I good. think a lot of it was us just saying, yeah, you're doing what you need to do. You're doing what's worked for you. And I get that you don't want to do it. So let's, you know, think about some options and some other things that might help. Right. But when you have this urge to do whatever you're doing to get rid of your pain and you squash that urge, it just rebounds worse. Right so for God or us or whoever to say, okay, do that thing actually kind of, it's like taking the lid off the pressure cooker and it can kind of dissipate. It's huh. actually more kind of a Buddhist stream. It was more out of the Buddhist side of my mouth, right. <laughs> part of my practice, um, to just go, yeah, okay, there's that thing. Let's look at that thing, but we don't have to judge that thing. Right. Um, and, um, that's when I get there, um, you know, that's not sort of historical, Christian way of dealing exactly, with uh, but I but I have this Buddhist side of my practice too, so I I draw on that a lot. Well, Christianity then... though
2: has so much judgmental. Okay, I'm paraphrasing from my experience okay. with with Christianity and with specifically Presbyterianism, there was so much judgment and so much, this is how you act and this is what you do. And this is, and just so much external judgment from everyone, from my parents, from Jesus, from God, from the pastor, from the congregation, from the way I was dressed to what I said, to everything. I just constantly felt so much judgment. So to be able to say, my relationship with God doesn't have to do with judgment for me is like cognitive dissonance. I'm like, mm. how crazy is it that you're a woman of the cloth and you're telling me that you're not judgmental for me? That's like blowing my mind. I'll sit next to you while you shoot up and we'll keep talking. It's, it's, it's just for me. And I hate to use word term crazy cause it's pejorative, but it's like, it's cognitive dissonance because every person that I've been involved with, with, Religion, for so many years, it's been surrounded with this idea of judgment.
3: And it's so sad. Yeah. Because I think, you know, God gets angry plenty in the Bible, right? So we have evidence that God does that. But what we see God doing all the time is going like, okay, I was really mad, but now I've changed your mind and changed my mind and let's talk again. Right. You know, that's what you see God doing over and over again. And Jesus too, right? Yeah. It's mad. And like, you know, tells Peter, get me behind me. But then he's like, okay, but let's talk. Right. You know, there's not this, I'm going to judge you forever because you wore the wrong thing or you whatever, you know, or you're a prostitute or you're, right. you know, a tax collector, which were not nice people in his time. Right. Uh, you know, really, um, they were like um, kind of the robber barons of today, Sure. you know, take you know. lepers. He hung out with people with leprosy. leprosy. Yeah, like, everybody, everybody was shunning. That's who Jesus hung out with. Yeah. I mean, I can say to my congregation to open cathedral every week, y'all are the, I keep hitting your microphone. Like, <laughs> y'all are the people who Jesus would have been hanging out with. Right. He wouldn't have been over there in city hall, maybe to turn a table over, but he would have been sitting out here on the street with us for right. outside worship. Cause that's what he did. Right. He like sits down in a field and talks or up in the mountain and he talks or by the sea and he talks. Right. And He's feeds constantly people outside feeding people, preaching to people, healing people, right. teaching people. He does it again and again and again, but it, almost
2: all of it is outside. Right.
3: Wow. Wow. You know he, does, he hes in the house sometimes. There's there's plenty of those scenes too. But oh well, there's the one about. where they take
2: the roof off. Remember to let the, the guy off. down yeah, to, to they have can't him healed.
3: Get in. Like wow! Well, I can, i always think. Those are some good friends that are right? going to like somehow get you up on the roof of this probably fairly rickety little house, pull all the reeds or whatever aside. And, and then I'm thinking of the guy on the pallet. I'm like, that sounds really scary. Exactly. the faith to go like swinging down and like, you know, but Jesus can look at that and go, wow, there's some faith there. Yeah. It's going to make you well. Right. And he always, almost always puts the power with the person. Your faith has made you well. Not I'm making you well or God's making you well. He is, your faith has made you well. Yeah. Go and sin no more, right? Yeah. Stay in relationship with sure. people. But you have this power. You have this strength in you. He's always building people up. Yeah, He's not generally, you know, with a few exceptions, he's not tearing people down. He's not going Except around the pointing. Except the Pharisees. Except Yeah, but
2: they were pretty big. But they're like yeah. up in his face, they right? Were, yeah, he doesn't like go up to
3: them and start lecturing. They no. get in his face and he defends himself. Yeah, they're like, we're going to trick you. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and he's like, ha, ha, smarter than you. Yeah. I go, God. You know, but he doesn't walk around shaking his finger at somebody going, you know, like your sandals aren't done up right and right. Your, your tunic's too short. You'll never be good enough. And you'll never be good. That's not how Jesus acts. Right. So why does the church act that way? Exactly. It just breaks my heart because we miss out on this opportunity. If you're busy doing all of that, you're m- missing the opportunity to tell people how much God loves them, right? And cares about them, and wants the best for them. And when people start to internalize that, they start to treat each other better.
2: It's you know it's hard because there's still there's so much corruption in. The church. So the reason I moved away from, I used to be very zealotrous in the church and Mm -hmm. I was very into service and I was very, very, I mean, even as a child, I was sort of, I I went to a wake once and they, I was at a, it was in the city and it was at one of my aunts was a nun or something. And they said, are you going to be a good little nun when you grow up? And I was like, no, I'm not going to be a nun. But I had thought about like service in the church and I was interested in that kind of stuff until our pastor, this big, big pastor that we got, and we had a, like a mega church where it was like big, multiple services, and you went to your service and everyone matched clothing. It was in a very rich part of town. It was in Danville, very wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And we got this guy, he'd written three books. Oh, Ron Lee Davis, Ron Lee Davis. And so he was the pastor of our church and he'd stand up there and everyone was like, oh, he's such a great pastor. And we'd listen to him every week and really like internalize what he was saying. And he was like this big, special guy. And then I found out that he'd been sleeping with like all these women he'd been counseling Mm. them Mm -hmm. and he'd been saying that the only way to regain forgiveness or to have their relationship was to have sex with him and so Uh. he was having sex with all these women and so he used the power of God to manipulate people and so then I was like there are predators everywhere there's like is this real is this and it completely shattered my it didn't shatter my sense of communion with a higher power in that I feel that I can have a relationship without the construct of religion, mm-hmm. but it made my whole life and surrounding about anything about religion. Just like be like, no, right. that is all, none of that is me. Cause I had put so much, I was a child right. and so much of my worldview was based off this person that then all of a sudden was a terrible person. And I was like, how I just never understood. Like it was one of those things where people really can lie. Like, yeah. And you can get away with it. Yeah. Like
3: it does. I mean, and, and across the, the board faith. I mean, in every faith tradition, unfortunately, and everywhere, every boardroom, every school, every, everywhere, there are people like that. And it's so sad. If you want to talk about sin, okay. Ruptured relationship with those women probably damaged their perception of their relationship with God and, or the church and their husbands and their husbands. And everybody in the congregation is now like, Oh, so if that's not true, is
2: any of the rest of it true? Well, he would stand up there and talk about his three kids and his wife and how, man- how much he mm. loved them all. And we all believed it hook, line, and sinker. And then this stuff comes out, and it was just like, is anything real? Is anything I've ever believed real? Because you know, I'm a 17, 18-year-old mm-hmm. impressionable young mm-hmm. lady, mm-hmm. and when my whole worldview has been like... I was super zealotous for Jesus, like Christian school, the whole deal. And to have that sort of like stripped away, it was like, none of this has really
3: painful, yeah, really painful. And it happens again and again and again. And he maybe did really love his wife and kids and had no self control around his sexuality or whatever. You know, we don't know what's going on with him internally, but That sort of behavior causes so much damage or you make off with the church treasury or, you know, uh, you know, and that's not so much a religious thing. That's a human thing. And people do it, but it's so tragic to me when it happens in a faith community because it does rupture people's connection with the community and so oftentimes I'm glad it didn't for you but oftentimes their sense of relationship with the divine or Buddha or whoever right um, they um, it ruptures those relationships which is so it's it's a terrible thing to steal from people because mm-hmm. people need I think human beings this is why we keep creating religion I think we need this sense of connection Yeah. With the divine or with the spirit of the universe or whatever, however you conceptualize it, people need that. And when you break that for people, it's just so painful. I mean, I hear a lot of agonizing stories, you know, really terrible things that have happened to people. But some of the deepest pain is like, you know, there's this really horrible pain that my father did this to me. But on top of that, there's this pain of why did God let it happen? Uh-huh. And sometimes that's the sharper, deeper, bigger pain. Like, okay, dad's human, you know, and maybe, but why does God let that
2: happen? Well, and it's the same thing with priests and with the Catholic church and with priests and all that cover mm-hmm. up and all that crazy, mm-hmm. crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure wearing the collar, people will be like, what is Because uh-huh. now there's this strange stigma around it. But that, that I mean, that happens in the has happened and happened it's difficult for people and then it wasn't recognized yeah and, and so then, then, then it, was the p- it was covered up covered like, oh. up so then you have like Injury and pain, and it then them not acknowledging people. it, which makes it even worse. Right. And then it severs you from your relation because it's like, oh, religion is bad and dangerous and predators. Right, and, right. And yeah. then you don't
3: have that needed part of your humanity. Right. People need
2: that. Sure.
3: And and for some people, it totally works to have that sense of connection on their own. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people kind of really need to have it in community. Sure. And so when that is broken... You're really harming the. You know, you're, you're. That's that's serious sin because you're really harming people's
2: lives. How do you think that the Catholic Church can go about making reparations for those kind of ruptured relationships, or is it too late? It, it, should we just like just get rid of certain denominations and be like, you know what, those ones messed up. Let's just go with this stuff now. Or yeah. What, well, what do you-
3: I, I don't think we're gonna convince the Pope to, like, disband this Catholic
2: Church. Right, yeah.
3: But I do think they need to do some serious soul-searching, and they need to do some real action. I just saw in the paper the other day that uh, they have, like, all these commissions sort of um, looking into clergy abuse, and that they're not really doing that much. Right. And that they're still, you know, for years they were like, oh... The sky raped a kid. Let's shuffle him off to another parish. Right. You know, like there needs to be some serious amends for that. You know, um, I think everything from free counseling for the victims mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely um defrocking anybody, all the priest who perpetrated it, but anybody who covered it up too, right, right. because you can't trust those people with the well-being sure. of the church either. If they're going to cover for their buddy, right. because Hey, he's a great guy and whatever, you know, and, and maybe he is doing 20 other great things, but you can't cover that, you know? So you, I think all those people need to be defrocked as well.
2: Do you think though then, that that, uh, that comes out of the, cause you're not catholics so i mean nuns aren't allowed to have sex priests aren't allowed to have sex do you think that it's about that cutting that humanity human part of yourself off and Mm, then these other sort of things bubble up because of it i i i think maybe for some people that exacerbates
3: it some people are truly called to celibacy i mean i know people who are it's not me but some people are and um if you're called to that, it'll work well. But if you're not called to that and you're trying to impose it on yourself, I don't think it works right. well. And, called to um, celibacy, yeah, some, some people are, and it's, um, it's not my thing, but you know, I know plenty of people who are, um, I know some rocking nuns, um, but, um, it's not my thing, but, um, if you're not called to it and you're trying to impose it on yourself, I think it can be really problematic for people. But I also know that there are plenty of predators in all kinds of faith streams that allow, um, clergy to marry or have partners or all of that. Um, some people don't see other people as people. Some people see other people as, um, means to gratification. Right. And, people who look at the world that way are going to hurt other people. Right. Rather either I'm going to extract a lot of money out of you that I have no right to or I'm going to extract something sexually from you that I have no right to or I'm going to beat you up as a way to get rid of my anger because you're not really a person. Right. You know, it's I feel like and this comes back to the judgment thing. If we could stop judging and start saying look at how beautiful and holy every single person is, yes. then it's harder to objectify people like that. If culturally, if the whole culture is going like, oh my gosh, gorgeous human being, oh my gosh, gorgeous human being, oh my gosh, gorgeous human being, then it gets a little harder to look at somebody just as an object of desire gratification. right? Um, and that's another way that judgment becomes a sin, I think, because it gets in the way of us seeing how amazing and holy and beautiful every single person is. And if you're in that judging place, there's some objectification with that too. Sure. And so it's sort of not that everybody who judges does that kind of misconduct, but I think it creates the culture where it's easier to look at people as things.
2: Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the how do you how do you teach children that people are have their own like there's a thing that happens I think in kids' minds I don't know maybe they're like. 14 15 16 where they recognize like oh, my parents are actual people. Right? Like they're they're not here specifically for my well-being. They're their own person and they have wants and needs that are I have wants and needs, they have wants and needs. Wow. Like there's like a little brain thing that explosion that happens sort of when kids become junior hires where not everything around me is just for me. Right, right, right. And, and, but even bigger than that is to recognize that every single person that we see everywhere is a person that has wants and needs and feelings and a whole back and a whole back. Yeah. And, and yeah.
3: And it's like, Whoa. Yeah. But I think it's how we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. Um, just looking through a Christian lens, you know, Jesus is looking at every person, right? He's not going, oh, homeless, I'm dismissing you. Right. Oh, leprosy, I'm dismissing you. Prostitute, I'm dismissing you. He's looking at every single person and seeing their beauty. Tax yeah. collector, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm, he sees his beauty. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of ha- how we're supposed to be, right. and, and we don't, um, unfortunately.
2: unfortunately um and it's really really sad because we could be better well then it, why why the Tower of Babel? So everyone, but, I mean, I, I get it. We're allegorically in the Hebrew Testament again. We're back in allegorical <laughs> times. And I get it. Pangaea was a thing. And they were probably trying to explain how the moving of peoples from around, like, how long's a God year? Who knows? Have people been around 200 million years? Sure. Because God made the world in seven days. But what's a God day? Who knows? Right, right, it right. could be millions of years. But that the Tower of Babel that we were all trying to work together and spoke the same language trying to build something and God went nah nah you don't get to build things together yeah. and then split all us up why take away the togetherness um so I don't actually believe God did that oh, okay. I think okay. it, I think
3: it is allegoric I think it's it's an origin story right it's yeah. people looking at the world going why do we speak all these different languages and why do you know and of course, organically that grows up as we evolve and you have all these different populations are all going to figure out their own languages and all that. But people at the time are looking around going, why? Right. And we can't figure out why. Um, so this is our story to tell us why just, I mean, the garden of Eden is also this, this origin story. Why do people die? Oh, God gives you this choice. Be, um, don't be live forever. Or you can have kids, but you're going to die. It's, you know, uh, one of my um, professors, oh, I'm going to blank on his name and it's killing me because I want to give him credit for this. Uh, Rabbi Michael Oblath talked about... um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He said that word that they translate as good and evil, everywhere else, it's a word for sexuality. It's not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a tree of knowledge of sex.
0: <gasps> and so
3: picture Adam and Eve running around as like 11-year-olds, like these prepubescent kids. Yeah. And they eat, and then they mature, and now they're going to have kids, so then you've got to die. And if you look at origin stories around the globe, there's this choice always: Are you going to be a rock or a banana tree? Uh, okay, a rock lasts forever, more or less, but a banana tree grows up and fruits, and then it falls over and dies, right? Sure. Um, so people around the world have asked these questions, and the Garden of Eden is is the answer they came up with in the in the
2: ancient Near East in that time. Of oh, we had this choice. Well, because God made them, and right. so for us as people to make people, that makes us sort of God. And so that was, I get, I get what you're saying now is that like, if they wanted to live, if people wanted to live in the garden of Eden forever, it would have been cool. Cause they just would have been all like frolicking. And then God would have had to keep making all the people because that's just, but then once it was like, Oh, we can make people ah, yeah. And then that's what sort of sets into life. That cycle of even
3: just Adam and Eve forever, like by themselves with other people. Sure. But you know, and, and and it gets really muddy because like suddenly there's these women for their sons to marry. Like where where did they come from? Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's the story gets muddy. They didn't like tie up all their loose ends. They weren't like JK Rowling writing this. They didn't tie up their loose ends. Um, So it's a little muddy, but, and it's probably a whole bunch of stories that are kind of amalgamated into what we now have in the Bible. But, um, you know, there's this choice and the choice they make is we want to, you know, mature sexually and, and have kids and, but then, okay, you got to die because otherwise the whole planet's going to be overpopulated like 10 times as fast.
2: That's also how you live forever is by passing on your genetic material. That way you don't actually die because yeah. the memory of you lives on in your children. If it, if you do it right, if, you've, if your you if your kids love <laughs>
3: and you, <And> you. <laughs> Oh, they and remember they, you more if right. they hate you. i got to tell the, you, I've had a lot of conversations. They're like, oh, people are still so mad at their mom and they're 80 now. That's um, absolutely fair. But um, I'm glad my kids like me. I prefer yeah, that kind
2: of relationship. I <laughs> um, absolutely. But, um, I forgot where I, I was going somewhere oh, we were, with that. We were and anyway. if we were in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, we were but no, a- a- allegorically, I'm down with some of this stuff so in the, in yeah, the Old Testament. I mean, but then it, some of it I'm like... Really? Why this story? Like, why did, who was the guy who, who tied the the fire onto the, fo- was it Samson? He tied the fire onto the fox's tails and he sent them out through the, to light the, to light the, their grain on fire, the bad guys. But it was like, did you have to kill the foxes? foxes? Right. Like, right. dude, why, why murder 40 foxes?
3: Why right. did you got to do that? So here's the other thing to remember. There, there are folks who look at the Bible and go like literal word of God. Right. That's not my belief. My belief is the Bible is people doing their best to understand God. Sure, um, And I kind of follow uh, Reverend Dr. Penny Nixon, and she says it's much better to take like the whole general sweep of the Bible and apply it to something specific in your life than to take one little specific thing and try and generalize it to right. everything. So you look at this document of all these people. I mean, lots and lots of people. It's not just like one guy writing it out, right? It's centuries of people. And 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 before you even get into the translation issues and all that, sure. or even the copying issues. So it's all these people looking at the world, Understanding that there's something more, there's this divine force in the world, trying to understand God, and they're doing their best. And so you look at like, what do they keep coming up with, time after time after time? Oh, God wants us to be good to widows and orphans. God wants us not to kill. God wants us not to lie to each other. God doesn't want us to cheat without consent. Right, right, right. <laughs> we all, I'll throw the without consent in there. You, you know, people doing their best and the the broad sweep of it is justice and love. Right. Oh, you know, Jesus says the whole of the law comes down to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and your neighbor is yourself. Right. Which to me is it's not like have warm, fuzzy feelings toward your neighbor. It's like love is this action. So if I have a house, you have to have a house. That's love. Right. If my kids are getting a good education, so do yours. You know, that's loving your neighbor. And Jesus is like the whole thing comes down to that. And he's quoting the Hebrew Bible. So they were you know, hundreds of years before him, they're there. And and you get it in different versions of that and different versions of the golden rule in just about every faith major faith stream. Absolutely. People as they try to understand the divine, we've got some consensus. We don't live by it, but we've got some consensus. And then you also get all these other things in there of like why do we all speak different languages and why the heck are we fighting each other? I mean, like, Tower right. of Babel is almost like that century's version of why can't we all just get along? Sure, right? sure, sure. You know, and that's the answer they come up with. Um, but then you go circle around to Pentecost and suddenly everybody is understanding the good news in their own language, right? Right. It around, it gets redeemed. The, the, the writer of Acts is going, we could be better. Yes, this is the way it is, but this is not the way it has to be. Acts that's is,
2: how Pentecostals aren't they the ones that they have to speak in tongues that they believe that that the only way to truly be born again is once the Holy Spirit comes in you and the way that you express that Holy Spirit is through speaking in tongues. Is yeah, that
3: true? That's uh, of some Pentecostals, okay. yes. Um but I'm not talking about Pentecostalism as oh, a okay. faith. Yeah. I'm talking about Pentecost the story in the Bible. Oh, okay where the disciples, um, they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes and it says, it's like tongues of fire, which to me sounds terrifying, but they handle it. They like roll with it. They're very chill at this point. And, uh, they go out and they start telling the story of Jesus and, and it's a festival time. And so there's people in Jerusalem from all over the place, basically the whole known world at the time. And every single person is understanding it in their own language. Wow. Even though um, you know they're probably the disciples are probably speaking Koine, maybe they're maybe they're speaking Hebrew, but more likely they're speaking uh, Koine Greek, and everybody's understanding it in their own language, and it's so trippy. The interpretation they come up with is, "Oh, those guys are drunk." I'm like, "They're drunk? <laughs> <laughs> what? How <I> do <don't> you understand? How <laughs> do you get there? Because on. you're yeah. hearing it in your own language." And they're right. like, "No, no, no, we're not drunk. This is for real. This is God." And I feel like it's the the mirror of the Babel story. The Babel story is looking at the world going, oh, this is the way it is. Why? Pentecost is looking at the world and going, yeah, that's the way it is, but look how much better it could be. Huh. And a lot of, of the Bible, there are these. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but like my, a lot of my favorite parts are looking at, yeah, this is the way it is. But it didn't have to be this way. So many of the stories in the gospel that people read as Jesus like condemning people—they are misread, and often I think they're not like predictions of you're gonna get out and you're gonna get in. It's lament that the world is already that way. Ah. Uh. And that it could be better. Sure. Uh, there's this, uh, he tells this parable of the fig tree, and, and the, it's dying, and the landowner says to the gardener, cut it down. And the gardener says, mm, give me a minute. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. Let me give this tree some care and see if we can't get it to fruit. And people look at that story and they think God is the landowner going, you're not good enough, cut you down. I think God is the gardener. Uh-huh. The world is a landowner going, you're not worthy. You're too poor. You're not pretty enough. You're not whatever. And there's Jesus going, hmm, let me give this person some care. I can work with they, this. I can yeah. work with this. Yeah. And oh, there's so many like that. That if you don't read them with this lens of judgment that we all, you know, we all come by it naturally. I don't want to like blame people for doing that because everybody's like grown up with it. So it's hard not to read through that lens. But if you kind of take those glasses off and you put on some glasses of, of love, you know, which is where God seems to be coming from, you can read a lot of those stories in a whole different way. Yeah. And and God is the gardener. He's not the landowner. He's not
2: the landowner. He's the
3: gardener. Yeah. And he's going, you know, let's, can we fix
2: this? Yeah. I love the prodigal son one because he comes back and the dad is like, have the biggest party, do the biggest thing. And the brother's like, What? I've been here. I've been faith. He's like, but yeah, this, he's bad. Just it's such a. I love that yeah, story. I mean, that I God kinda, is I feel constantly feel for the brother. I actually
3: got of feel
0: for
2: yeah. the
3: brother in that one. I get where the brother like, is coming have from. Discipline and I, yeah, and it's like, and and God is like, yeah, and I love you for it. Right. But I also love this person who went and completely messed up. Yeah. but they're coming back.
2: Fair so is Let's try this again. Fair isn't equal. Fair is what everybody needs. That's what we used to say when I was I like teaching. That. I was teaching I like school. That. And because kids would go, that's not fair. Because I taught special ed and I had to give some kids more attention than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd say, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I'm like, fair is not equal. Fair is what everybody needs. And if this I person like needs that. a little more, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. And we should provide that for that person if they need a little more. Because when you right. need a little more, we're going to be here to help you out. Thank
3: you. Like, Can we like now make you president, please? Because, yeah. <laughs> because we don't do that as a society. Yeah. We say, everybody... This is what you get. Now yeah. of course some people are starting off with a lot more. Right. Right? Because of their gender, because of their ethnicity, because of their financial situation. And somebody who's starting off without all that, if they don't um, use their talents well in the same way, they get blamed
2: for it. Right. Like,
3: what the heck? Yeah. That that is not fair.
2: Yeah, and it's just if we could actually support people's needs. See, that's the other thing is that so much of, especially you deal with people and unpredictable behavior at night and in the street. Well, their behavior is unpredictable because their needs aren't being met. Right. And if no one's meeting their needs constantly, I'd be frustrated too. I'd be yeah, angry I, and frustrated and confused. And how do you get your needs met? And if someone has, and that's the other thing is if we start meeting people's needs, are people's needs really that much? Is it really that no, hard know, to like meet people's, people's needs?
3: So grateful. Like just to get a blanket. I'm like, if yeah. I were sitting where you are, I would be mad that you're not taking me home. But this right. person is like, thank you for the blanket, you know? Um, and just some of my worst encounters is where I assume I know what the person needs and I try and give them that. I have fallen into that trap. Mm. Um, and and some of the best ones are where I don't do that. And I say, what do you need? Yeah. And the person will tell you, and if I can do it, I'll do it. And if I can't, I can't. But Jesus does that all the time. Yeah. People come to him and he says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? He's always asking people, what do you want? What if
2: someone on the street and you said, what do you want? And they said, I want a bottle of wine. Would you buy him a bottle of wine?
3: Usually not. Yeah, no. I wouldn't think we so. We don't, um, and not... It's more it's about, liability. it's more about not, well, it's not even that it's more about, we don't do money because that gets really complicated. Right. You yeah. look like you're playing favorites and all of that. Um, so that's more my reason why, yeah. um, I used to I, sometimes I have matches in my pocket, really debated early on about, am I going to carry cigarettes? Cause I get asked for cigarettes all the time. Sure. Um, and I decided not to, um, <laughs> just
2: because it's really expensive. Like, right. Afforded. Well, and I mean, the body is a temple yeah. and if, but they're going to smoke, but they're just going to pick a butt up off the ground, three
3: butts off the ground and right. roll them in their paper, you know? So it's not, it's not, and we kind of talked about this last week. If I'm trying to change somebody's behavior, I'm probably not in good relationship with them. Mm. You know, I'm just another person who has an agenda for them and we are not going to be able to really talk. Yeah. Um, th- that said, they're, there's a limit to what I can do right. not being Jesus. I have a limit to what I can do. So I can, if what somebody needs is to have somebody really deeply listen to them, if they need some good pastoral care, if they need blanket socks, rosary, Narcan, I can help with that. Right. Um, if they need some resources, I can help with that. If they want to make a phone call to somebody, I'll pull out my phone and we'll make a phone call. I'll block my number. Yeah. Um, we'll make a phone call. Smart. Um, you know, and I don't do this much, so I probably shouldn't even say it, but like we have a regular and just recently got, uh, he was in the hospital and he got discharged. So we like, you know, he's got this head wound. It's healing. He's but he's outside. Yeah. Who does he call? He calls us. Of course. I can go. I happen to have a tent, so I could I could go pick him up, set him up with the tent, set him up with the blanket, a blanket. He had massive head wound. Get, get him some. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's got staples in his scalp. <laughs> yeah. He gave me permission to share his story too. Yeah. And he was. It was actually really powerful because he, the guys who hit him, he said. Um, he turned around after they hit him, and they said, oh, no, wrong guy. And they like, <gasps> ran away.
2: Oh, and, that's devastating. Well, no, yeah. it's devastating for anyone to be attacked anyways. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. horrible he and He not to press
3: charges. He said, they didn't mean to get me. It wasn't personal. They made a mistake.
2: <laughs> I'm like... I would totally be pressing. Digits. I would be pressing charges. Yeah, <laughs> um, so if it, it was, was really
3: you know it had this inspiring side to the story, and he actually got a lot of good help um, at the hospital. So in a way, it, it worked for him. But um, you know, I so yeah, if I can help you in that way, if I happen, I just happened to be really lucky that I had a ten. Um, I try and always have blankets. You know, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But I yeah. can at least set him up in a way that he can keep his head wound clean and dry sure, until sure. he can go over to Tom Waddell the next day. Yeah. You know, so I'll do those kind of things, and we'll do those kind of things. Not always, but rarely. Um, but if you need a hotel for the night, you know, and for once once upon a time we had a grant, we were able to do a uh-huh. bit of
2: that. If
3: we don't. Hey have Zuckerberg, right give yeah. them a grant. Sometimes we Some can. Rich a, person, yeah. Google. Hey
2: Google, give Night Ministries <laughs> a grant. That would be Let amazing. Us put people in a hotel. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's. Um, to have a shower and a clean place but, to sleep yeah, and feel just, like a person. And be and, able
3: to sleep and not have right. to keep one eye open. To lock a door behind yeah. you. I One person I knew was, even before I was doing night ministry, but he lived outside and then he got a hotel and he said, just to be able to lock that door. It's mean, so a, a safety issue.
2: Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting if it was possible to do an exchange program thing where you took people that lived in San Francisco and you safely helped them not even sleep on the street for a night but maybe just maybe just do with you from 10 at night till 4 in the morning and hang out and see what what the struggles are because right. well I don't I'm, think people really truly know in this city what the struggles of the questionably housed are
3: Yeah I'm I'm happy to have guests along I do Sort of limit it because I don't want our folks to feel like they're a tourist attraction. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh I, my gosh, it's like do, an Airbnb I do bring experience. Along. <laughs> another another good way, and it does include sleeping on the streets. If you do the longer one, is the Faithful Fools do a street retreat? Oh, uh, they do a day long, several times a year, and they do at least one week long. And they, um, when I first heard about it, I said, ooh, tourism, you know, I really, I kind of had a lot of judgment around it, but when I actually did one and I saw how they did it, I just did a, a, a day long, but um, so respectful. Yeah. And starting with this meditation of, you know, what keeps us together, what separates us, you know, and you can make this choice to like leave your keys and your cell phone and all your things that kind of help keep you safe with them while you go do it. Um, wow. I did. It was, I'm so used to taking taking out my cell phone and taking pictures of murals and things that I kept like reaching in my pocket and there was no cell phone there. But the faithful fools uh, over on Hyde street actually do a very good job of helping people, helping people kind of, it's, it's different because you know, you're going back inside, right? Right. Right. So you're not going to have the experience of living outside, but to kind of open the door to empathy, open the door to, I like that to open the door to empathy. Um, and And kind of have a chance to deeply notice what keeps you apart from people and what connects you to people. Yeah. The faithful fools do that so well, yeah, after you're done donating to us, go donate
2: to them too because they're awesome <laughs> and and you can um you can join tomorrow the vigil at the u n plaza at six o'clock for the two hundred and sixty three people that died this year yeah. um, living questionably housed um, on the street and that's so devastating that that's a huge number of people like dying outside and and we could in the richest city in the in the in the United States I think that we could easily tackle this this problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not hard. It's just there's no political will. It's not complicated um, to just you know just it's complicated because of bureaucracy, but it's not in reality
2: complicated. Right. Right. Tiny Homes. Do you know about this? Oh, yeah. The yeah. St. Francis uh, Project uh, and Yes. Amy Farrell yeah, Weiss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's I amazing. Really, um, I'm really... Uh,
3: glad she's doing that and uh, we've we've actually spoken a few times and I'm, I'm very much in support of that
2: project yeah the tiny homes giving people a locked door a safe place to put their stuff yeah. a safe place to sleep and stewardship over the community so that they feel like they belong and they feel like they're helping other people yeah,
3: yeah. it's great it's a great project and you know like dr- this fee on empty buildings and drive the armed traffickers and the human traffickers out of town and then the yes. rats go down and then we have fewer people living outside and you've got some empty buildings that you can now put people in. Yeah. You know, it just, um, there's lots of not complicated things to do.
2: Uh, it starts with compassion though, because yeah. right now we continually distance ourselves from people. And the way I think to heal that is with compassion for our fellow right, man.
3: Right. To get away from that judging thing so that you can actually see the beauty of every single person.